0: Wasn't that a good song? And I love it. I love that happy music. Very, very good. When they got up here, I looked at Hunter and I thought, you talk about a thorn among the roses, but then he got up and sang like that and I had to change my mind about it. He actually belonged up here. Wonderful. Boy, that was a blessing. I love it. Beautiful. <clears throat> All right, we're in the gospel of John and chapter six again tonight. And uh, we're going to do the end of the chapter tomorrow night, God willing, but tonight we're in John chapter 6, and um, we're going to begin reading, um, I I think in uh, verse 35 would be a good place uh, to start. We were here last night in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 6, and of course the... what is taking place, what is going on, and uh, the teaching that Jesus is doing follows the feeding of the 5,000, a notable event. Uh, Five loaves, two fishes, 5,000 men alone were fed, uh, 12 baskets remaining. This isn't a fairy tale. It actually happened just like that, just exactly like that. So we're still talking about it today, 2,000 years later, and you can imagine the stirring that it would have caused in that particular day, as Jesus still relatively early in his public ministry, um, the fame of him, as you read through the Gospels, you'll see that because of events like this, this event and others, um, that his fame has spread abroad everywhere. And uh, many called the first year, some Bible students called the first year of his ministry the year of popularity. And I don't even like to use the word popularity with Jesus, but it's actually accurate. Uh, And we'll understand some of that out of the passage tonight. It was actually accurate. He was very popular and people were coming as a result of his popularity. And so amazing, amazing story, amazing things happening. So let's start reading in verse number 35. If you want to stand for the reading of the Word of God, if you need to remain seated, please uh, feel free. But otherwise, we'll honor the Word of God. And let's start reading in about uh, verse number 35. And again, this follows the fact that He had given them bread and they did eat, and He gave them meat and they did eat and uh, ate plentifully to the full. They ate to the full. And now He is teaching that he is the bread of life. Look in verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, <clears throat> I am the bread of life. This is, a, this is a statement that was an attention getter. He said, what? You, you just have to, if you weren't here last night, I'm sorry about that, Or if you haven't visited this passage. But when Jesus made a statement like this, it was an attention grabber. Did you hear the claim that he made? You're going to see That some of them had the attitude, oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. We want to eat this bread. We like the miracles. And certainly he spake like no man spake. And uh, they never heard or seen. (laughs) This is an understatement. They never heard, seen, or met anyone like Jesus. And now he makes this claim. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me. Now put this in your mind here. Ye have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. We covered this last night. Everyone that comes to him and believes or drinks of him, then uh, he, he, that person is given him to him by the Father. We called the sermon last night. Now I belong to Jesus. That's how it happened. You came to Jesus. God gives him all that belief. And now we belong to Jesus Amen. with all the ramifications, some of which we'll talk about tonight. All right, verse 38. i got to stop talking about it and read it. Verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Please say amen so I don't have to talk about it. I mean, that's powerful. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Another point we labored on last night, but it should raise it up again the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the uh, Son... And believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Five times he mentions that he will raise him up at the last day. The Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Well, you and I know how he says that, don't we? He came down from heaven. The virgin-born son of God. Verse 43. Agree quickly or you'll make me stop and preach on this on the way. Verse 43. Jesus, therefore, answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. In case they didn't get it before, get it now. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Ladies and gentlemen, if he has shocked them by his previous statements, I am the bread of life, how shocking do you think this sounds to them? That he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat, indeed, and my blood is drink, indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this of this bread shall live forever. That's what he just said up in verse number 54 that I will give them eternal life. Verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, all the vast multitudes couldn't get in the synagogue, but the word got out from the synagogue. No question about it. Verse 60. Many, of his, uh, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it. Now, uh, let me slow down and read that right. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Question, who was it that went back and walked no more with him? Many of his disciples. We're going to stop our reading there and conclude the chapter, God willing, tomorrow night. I give the title to this sermon, Jesus and his disciples? A question. It it, it raises a question here. Jesus, if we said Jesus and his disciples, but we're not saying that. Jesus and his disciples? Yeah. Hopefully that'll make sense to us here in a few moments. Father, we sure are thankful tonight. Our hearts are blessed to join our voices together and sing how great thou art. And to sing your praises. You are worthy, and we thank you for the privilege to, uh, by song and spiritual songs and hymns, give praise and thanksgiving to your wonderful name. Thank you also for the message and song delivered by the trio and how it, uh, such harmony and a message and song, it can't but lift the spirit of your people and encourage and be a blessing. We thank you for that. And now we thank you for the time to read the word and to give attention to the word. I pray for the help and the unction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It is said by those that heard Jesus, this is a hard saying. And... uh, not only is it a hard saying, this isn't necessarily an easy passage to read and prepare for preaching. At least that's my experience. And um, so I'm continuing, Lord, to ask you to help me to present the message tonight out of this passage in a way that is clear. And that is in a way that it will be comprehended and in a way that will accomplish the purpose of the preaching of the word. That we might be exhorted, that we might be reproved, that we might be rebuked where that is necessary, that we, might be, um, that we might be motivated, that we might be compelled, O God, to examine ourselves and then not just be somebody that was a disciple until, but that we will be what you called in your word, disciples indeed. That's what you want. That's what we ought to want. You'll help us here in this passage to know what it is, to be a disciple indeed. So bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. may be seated. <clears throat> I'm big on, uh, I'm not the only one, Even preachers, a lot of preachers are, but I'm big on definitions. Sometimes I work, uh, look up definitions on words that, uh, when I say, now let me give you the definition, some of the words are so familiar, uh, there are sometimes, I think people think I'm insulting their intelligence, but oftentimes when we'll take the time to do the work on a word a definition, we'll find maybe a broader use than we're used to, And besides that, there are times that words kind of evolve and they kind of lose what the original meaning or how the original use was uh, what it meant. And so I I love to look up uh, the words and make sure I'm not missing anything. Sometimes you find some real nuggets that'll really be helpful. So I look up the word disciple. Oh, come on. We know what a disciple is. I know. But I looked it up anyway. And uh, the word disciple, really, in its simplest form, it just simply means this, a pupil, a learner, a pupil, someone who is going to be taught. That's what a disciple is. Now, <clears throat> if we had been uh, allowed to walk in that time, if we had been able to be eyewitnesses of what was taking place I have no doubt we would have been amazed like many of the people of that time were amazed And, and in fact the greater the multitudes that came the more rapidly did the news about Jesus spread and the multitudes continued to grow so that they went from multitudes to great multitudes. And there's quite a difference uh, if you study that definition between a multitude and a great multitude or great multitudes. And we'd have looked at that and we would have thought, wow, look at this. Look at all the people that are listening to Jesus teach and he was teaching and he was preaching. Let's look, look at all the people. Look at all the pupils. Look at all the learners. <clears throat> However, Jesus made a distinction Uh, in this matter of who are disciples. And if you're in John 6, in my Bible, I just have to turn one page. I want you to turn to John chapter 8. Now, hold your place, obviously. We're coming back to chapter 6. But just in my Bible, I just have to turn one page right over. It's handy for us. And look in John chapter 8. And I want you to look in uh, verse number 29 of John 8. Now, listen to these words. This will help us. And he hath sent me, Jesus said, Uh, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. And he spake these words. I'm sorry, read it right. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. next word, please? Indeed. Indeed. So you can only come to one conclusion. Now I'm going to reference that again after a while, but you can only come to one conclusion, that what we read in John chapter six, and what Jesus said about those disciples that were out there, that there is a difference between a disciple and a disciple indeed, because Jesus made it clear. He said, now here's what a disciple indeed is. Not just somebody that hears what he says, And then intellectually, they have received it. Intellectually, they've processed it. This is what Jesus taught. That's what they were murmuring about. Intellectually, they heard. He said, I am the bread of life. I am sent from God. I came here from heaven. He is claiming equality with God. He is claiming to be deity. He is claiming to be the Messiah. He is claiming to be the bread of life. And they heard that as pupils. They heard it, but they didn't continue in it. And he said, the difference between a disciple and a disciple indeed is this, that a disciple simply hears and they are taught or they are a pupil. But a disciple indeed continues in what I taught. They receive it and continue in it. Vast difference between the two. A vast difference between the two. So in chapter 6, I think you can see, there are many disciples. I mean, multitudes of people there that were listening. If, If we'd have walked upon the scene, you and me. If we'd have walked upon the scene, we'd have said, my soul, look at that. Look at all the students he has. Look at all the pupils that are there. Because they are sitting there with their ears open. And Jesus is speaking and teaching them. Therefore, they are at that time his pupils. And they're called disciples as pupils. That's what it means. But then Jesus made it more distinct. There's such a thing as a disciple indeed. And a lot of this sermon will challenge us to look at ourselves and ask the question, Am I a disciple? Well, of course. I mean, I've been saved since this time or that time. I've been going to church. I've been a member of of a Calvary Baptist church or this or that church or whatever it might be. Why, sure, I'm a disciple. I've known Jesus for a long, long time. And uh, this will kind of help us understand whether we are disciples like many of them were disciples or whether we are disciples like Jesus is looking for disciples indeed. You already get uncomfortable, can it? Knowing we're going to face these kind of questions. Many disciples in John 6, few disciples indeed. Many disciples in John 6, few disciples indeed. Now, I don't know why we would think it would be a lot different today. All across America, there are still churches that, uh, or at least they have church on the door. They assemble together and they meet and they come together and people might say, oh, Christianity, this state or this state. They talk about, I preach up in the Northwest a lot and two of the states, in fact, I'll be in both of these states in the coming months this year, in the state of Washington, the state of Oregon, which they say are the most unchurched states in the, of the 50 states the United States of America. They are the most unchurched. The greater percentage of their population per capita they are the least churched people there but you can go even there and see where there are facilities i preached up there drive past them on sunday morning and people are assembling and this is true all across america till probably there are still millions of people that go to church. several million people that are in the in church services of some kind across the united states of america But the real question is not how many people go to church. If we're interested in what Jesus taught and authentic discipleship, we are really interested in this are we, are they disciples indeed? Now, here's how he makes the distinction. He makes the distinction between a disciple and a disciple indeed based on this how they respond to the hard sayings of Jesus. Now, that's in our account. See, that's why I'm saying that. It's right here in our account. Uh, So what is going to determine, and Jesus understood, we read the verses there. He knew that there were some of those that were there that would have been pupils under him, but they did not believe. And and so the distinction that makes the difference that, that is the divide between a mere pupil and a disciple indeed his terms not mine a disciple indeed is this how do they respond to the hard sayings of Jesus That's what they called his sayings You must eat my flesh drink my blood They looked at each other and said, this is a hard saying. And so he didn't just say it once. Come on, you read the text with me. He he knew what was going on. He knew, knew, oh boy, did he know. And he knew what was going on. That's why he kept saying it. He didn't say it just once. He said it about three times there uh, in some form or another that if you are going to have eternal life and be raised at the last day, experience the resurrection of the just, if that is going to happen, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He covers that three times in what we just read. And he knew it and he kept saying it because probably the first time they heard it, they thought, I didn't hear that. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. In case they missed it, he says it again. And in case they're still pondering and wondering, he's saying it again. And what was their response to it? Murmuring. Murmuring. Murmuring is never a blessing. Come on, friends. Murmuring is never a blessing. It's an undertone of discontent and unbelief. And all you got to do is go read about Israel in the wilderness and they murmured their way through for 40 years. And it's discontent and it's, it's unhappiness. It's displeasure with. And Jesus is speaking. Listen to me. He is speaking every word that the Father is giving and they're murmuring. That's what it says. Now let's review what he said. And I'm, I'm not going to go back and read it all. I'm just going to say I marked four specific things that Jesus taught in the verses we read. And some of these we covered last night. So just follow along and you can go find it in all of the passages that we just read. Number one, Jesus said he was the living bread from heaven. That's a, that is an incredible claim that they weren't expecting. I am the living, oh, the enthusiasm, the excitement, the miracle worker is here. Five loaves and two fishes. Let's go bring your friends. People are getting healed. This is utterly amazing. Let's go. So we can use some more of this. (laughs) Let's go. They're doing fine till he said, I am the living bread from heaven. You're from Nazareth. That's what they're saying. Joseph and Mary, come on, we know the family you're from. That's what they're saying. Second thing, all I was going to do is tell you what they said, the things that are taught. The second thing is this, he said his body was bread and that his blood was drink. I know how that sounds. I mean, to this day, as many times as I've read this and tried to preach this and teach this and such as that, it still sounds difficult to say at times that his body is bread and his blood is drink. The third thing he said, that caused great consternation too. The third thing he said is they could not have eternal life if they did not eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, all three of these things are taught right here in the words that we read. You can find anybody on a first grade level can go back and read and see. Sure enough, that's exactly what he said. He's the living bread from heaven. Sure enough, that's what he said. His body is bread and his drink, his blood is drink. And sure enough, that's what he said. Eternal life requires that they eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. The fourth thing he taught is if they took in the truth, they would have everlasting life and be resurrected from the dead. He taught that. And so how did they respond? Jesus knew that they, verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, students, pupils somebody say amen so I can keep going when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it he said unto them doth this offend you so he is teaching excuse me just a second he is teaching absolute truth let's agree to that everything that he is teaching is absolute truth and they're offended he knows they're offended now, we started out this meeting, not everybody was here in Sunday school. We started out this meeting out of uh, the 119th Psalm, verse 165. We did the whole stanza there, but we focused upon 165 when he said, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And we spent a significant amount of effort in trying to explain what offend men, uh, uh, means. And to be offended means that somebody has stuck a trip stick out and caused uh, this uh, hindrance of future progress, and it's meant to bring a person down. And so an offense is when you might be uh, moving along, but then the adversary or someone puts a trip stick out there, and down you go. And you're offended. It means you go down, and you're not progressing. You're not moving ahead. It stops you. It knocks you down. It takes you down. And so Jesus is teaching along. Look at the multitudes. Oh, my soul. Look at the thousands of people that are there. And they're still buzzing about the five loaves and the two fishes and the full stomachs and the 12 baskets. (laughs) Can you believe we actually got to witness all of this? And let's follow him some more. We'd like to see some more of this. And lame people are made to walk and sick people are made whole and blind people are made to see. And all kinds of miracles are taking place here. Let's follow him some more. Follow him some more. And so they're following in their I can just feel it. The giddiness of it. This is amazing. No telling what we'll see today. And he said, I am the bread that came from heaven. Whoa. And without me, there is no life. Your father, some of them say, "Ah, oh, come on. We already know the bread from heaven stuff. Yeah. But the bread that you're talking about the days of Moses, they ate that bread and they died. This bread means everlasting life. Do yeah. you know what he's saying? He's saying that he has the power to forgive sin. Yeah, he'll say that later. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Mm. Amazing. They start murmuring. They're offended. Hold everything. Now, <laughs> wait just a minute. Got him more bread? We'll eat it. Got him more fish? We'll eat that too. Got him more miracles? We enjoy seeing that. But if we embrace what you're saying, it means you are God. You are deity. If you are deity, then you have authority. If you are, in fact, who you are claiming to be, we should submit ourselves to you and your authority. We'll take the bread and we'll take the fish. But to follow you and do your teachings, that's different. We'd have to change. We'd have to change the way we've done. We'd have to change the way we've taught. We'd have to change the way we've been taught. We would have to change. There'd be a whole lot of changes in our life. No, no, no. We'll take the bread, we'll take the fish. But we're not doing that. And what does it say? They were offended. It means we stop right here. The sayings of Jesus, come on, picture the words coming out of his mouth and they are every bit the truth. And these people are walking along wanting to see more bread and see more fish and all of a sudden down, down they go. What's your problem? Did you hear what he said? We tripped up at that. We're offended by that. We can't go on with him, with him teaching that. And they murmured against him, and Jesus, (laughs) leading them along, knowing that he must speak to them the truth, knowing that apart from him there is no eternal life, knowing that he is not here to do his own pleasure or try to make a name for himself. Come on, we understand the humility of Jesus Christ in this state of humiliation, and he came only to do the will of his Father, so he must do what he is doing and say what he is saying, knowing it would trip him up. Knowing it would. But Jesus wasn't like 21st century preachers, so-called. Oh, this offends you? Oh, don't don't go anywhere. We can fix it. Change the way we say it. In fact, there are a lot of versions that are less offensive than this. And, And we can change our message and make sure nobody can be offended by anything. And today across the United States of America, I may sound like a critical person. I don't mean to be critical. I want to believe the best about everybody. I really, really do. But all across America, we have people that are crafting messages to make sure nobody can possibly get offended. And that they'll want to come back and they'll want to put some money in and they'll want to be a part of the program. Because after all, what good is it if they're not going to come? But you'll notice, didn't you, that Jesus knew these people would be offended and spoke anyway? I said he knew they would be offended and he spoke anyway. Isn't that much the way the prophets did it? that when the prophets came with thus saith the Lord come on when it said thus saith I said that Jesus said only the words his father gave him to say well if they were a true prophet here's how they would begin their sermons and many lines in their sermons thus saith the Lord thus saith the Lord thus saith the Lord Isaiah didn't have anything to say if God didn't give it to him Jeremiah didn't have anything to say if God didn't give it to him and when they came they said what God said and they never even thought about taking an opinion poll to see if this is going to be accepted or not accepted they had one response responsibility, and that was to God, and that was to say what he said. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So that's what Jesus was doing. <clears throat> yeah, but eat his body and drink his blood. It need not be as hard as people make it. They murmured it the saying, This is an Hard saying. <laughs> look, I don't know if everybody sees humor in the Bible, but I, 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 don't, want, I don't ever want to be irreverent. But look at verse 62. They're murmuring because this is making him deity, and it's a hard saying, and how can we accept that? He is saying that he is God. Jesus said in verse 62, just kind of slips this in here. What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Look at me in a second many of the disciples indeed would eventually see just that. Read the book of Acts chapter 1. Because you know what happened? After he was raised from the dead, and after he made appearance to his disciples, after his (laughs) resurrection, and in the due process of God's time, there Jesus was, and the disciples saw him ascend up into heaven. And the men that where angels came and said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which ye see going up into heaven shall so come in like manner. And Jesus said here, well, you don't believe now, but would you believe if you saw me ascend back up where I'm going to go or or where I came from? Because basically you're saying, that's what I'm going to do. If you'll just stick with me, you'll see. I will ascend right in front of people. Back to where I came from. I don't know why I think that's so funny. I just think it's wonderful that he stuck that in here. Okay, but now here's the thing I want to show. When he talks about eating the flesh and drinking the blood, look at verse 63. Knowing they were offended, into verse 61, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Can I have your attention just a second? You know what Jesus is saying to them? No, no, not eat my flesh. That's absurd. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. Come on, think think through it. They are spiritual. And they are life. Well, yes, but he said, eat his body and drink his blood. Okay, now, think with me, Carrie. I mean, this this isn't easy stuff. But think with me. Go back to verse number uh, 47. Verse 47. Look in verse 47. Now look at this. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Question. How does a person have everlasting life? It's only stated umpteen times in this chapter and all through the Gospel of John that you come to everlasting life with God through Jesus Christ by believing in Jesus Christ. That's all through the Gospel of John. That's how the Gospel of John ends. All right? And so he said, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now drop down to verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. There it is again. How do you have eternal life? Believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but what does eat and drink? Eat his flesh and drink his blood. What does that mean? It means believe in him. Believe in him. Because he's going to bear our sins in his own body on that tree. If you don't believe in that, you can't be saved. And he is going to shed his blood to cover our sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. If you don't believe it, then you can't be saved. So he is simply using the language of consumption. They had just eaten the bread. And they had just eaten the fish. They had just consumed food. And now he said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And the way that you eat of my body is to believe that I have come in the flesh That to believe that I have come in the flesh to pay for the sins of the whole world. You have to believe that. So to believe it is to, spiritually speaking, consume it. Receive it. What did the woman at the well do with that living water? Give me this water to drink. She never put anything to her mouth and did this. But she believed Jesus. And it's called Jesus. Drinking, believing is eating. Believing is drinking spiritually. See, that's all he means. That's all he means. That's right. Somebody said, well, yeah, but I was a Catholic or maybe somebody is here that is a Catholic. And when that priest prays, the uh, bread turns into the literal body of Jesus and the wine turns into the literal blood. No, it doesn't. Actually, that's not true. Jesus was offered for, I just read in my Bible reading this morning, Hebrews chapter 9. Jesus was offered for our sins once. Amen. I said Jesus was offered for our sins once. Amen. He came in the flesh. He bare our sins, 1 Peter chapter 2. He bare our sins in his own body on the tree. And he came and died for sin once. And it's blasphemous to think that that bread becomes the literal body of Jesus and that juice becomes the literal blood of Jesus. That is blasphemous. He shed his blood for the sins of the world once. Amen. And it's done. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished So what, what is he saying then? He said, well, if you're going to have the benefit of why I came, to bear your sins in my body on that tree and to shed my blood Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And it wasn't possible that the blood of goats and of bulls should take away sin. And it had to be the precious blood of the sacrificial lamb. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, I am offering my body and I am offering my blood. And you drink it and eat it by believing it and receiving it. It's beautiful, actually. I don't care how it sounds, eating flesh and drinking blood, when you understand what Jesus is teaching, it's really a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful truth. Verse 66. From that time, many of his pupils went back Many of his disciples, many of his students, many that were would-be learners were offended. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That had to be a sad sight. The enthusiasm that was in the air over the miracle working power of Jesus. People still buzzing about the 5,000 men alone fed by five loaves and two fishes and 12 baskets remain. (laughs) A notable miracle that we haven't even spent time on happened after the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, And between this uh, time when Jesus is teaching here, when his disciples got on a boat to go where he said to go and they got in a big storm and Jesus went out and calmed the storm. And then he showed up on the other side. Nobody saw him get in a boat and he didn't get in a boat. Jesus did what Jesus could do. And he was here and then he showed up there. There were times that the Jews sought to kill him and he disappeared out of their sight because he is God, made manifest in the flesh. And he was there to do the will of the Father, not to die prematurely. And so he moved himself out of the way. And, and so a lot has already happened. And just if you can feel the electricity, it's a big event where it's huge crowds and you can feel the electricity. You can feel it sometimes going to church. You just Sometimes you go to church and just expect something to happen. You can just—I mean, I—I'm not—you know—I don't go by how I feel and everything like that. But I just tell you, as a pastor, there are times I've gone into the service on a Sunday morning and before, while the instruments are playing, before and people are speaking, I can tell the Lord's here today. This is going to be something. There are times I've thought that, and. Uh, <clears throat> I hope it was something to somebody, but I missed whatever it was, you know. But there are other times that i I just known. I heard the choir sing the opener, and they go, oh, my soul, it's on today. God is here, yeah. and he's at work. And I remember one time, I don't have time to get into all this, but I can remember one time, uh, it was that way on a Sunday morning, and the choir sang their just little opener to get everybody tuned in. The congregation sang, and just, whoo, it was just amazing. And then the choir sang, to rescue a sinner like me. And before they could get through that song, people were coming out of the choir and going to the altar, weeping and crying before the Lord. And people got saved that morning. I mean, it was, just, it was utterly amazing. I had the choir uh, sing the song again, and more people started coming out of the. I oh, haven't even got to open the Bible yet to preach. And people are coming down to the altar and praying and weeping and getting right with God. Sang this song twice, and there's just the whole congregation with hardly a dry eye in the place. It was just an amazing time. And then gave the invitation and had him sing that song again. The choir stays up on Sunday morning, and so I had him sing that song again for the invitation time. And more people came to y'all. And it was just one of those days where you knew God is here. It, I, I happen to think that if we could have walked upon that scene, that oh man, there's it, it's electric here today. <laughs> there is something in the air, and like so often happens, it's quickly. Destroyed by preaching truth. they done fine till Jesus said, I didn't come here to impress everybody with miracles. I'm the bread that came here from heaven. Amen. If you don't eat of me and if you don't drink of me, you miss it. There's no salvation apart from it. Well, they weren't ready for that. Because if he was in fact the Messiah, you know what they expected their Messiah to do? Reign, have authority, rule. And if he is Messiah, we're obligated to do what he said. We're not ready for that. So they took advantage of the atmosphere. They took advantage of the bread, the miracles. Maybe some of their own loved ones were on the, end, uh, on the receiving end of the healing work of Jesus. And they took that and then... As the disciples sat there and looked at the crowd, they walked away. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, no, 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 wait, wait. He didn't say that. He knew beforehand, didn't he? That there were those that were there. Because they were excited about what they had heard and what they had seen. They were excited about future prospects of a possible liberation from the oppression of Rome, but to receive Him as God made manifest in the flesh? No. And they left. And He didn't change one thing to keep them from leaving. Not one thing. Now, why'd they leave? It's hard saying. Were they in disciples indeed? No, disciple indeed does what? Continues in his saints. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. This isn't hard. King James is so hard. Oh, people make it hard just because somebody told them it was hard. This isn't hard. They, 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 they that were je- disciples indeed continued in his words. They continued. They didn't get offended. When Jesus spoke, it's the truth, you receive it. Not offended by it. Let me just say this. That this passage here, this is not the last of his hard sayings. Not by any means. There were plenty of more hard sayings to come that offended people. Plenty of them. All you got to do is preach them today. Preach them. Uh, Master, as Jesus was teaching, your mother and your brother have come and they want to speak with you. And Jesus said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he pointed to the disciples and he said, I'll tell you who my mother, my brother, I'll tell you who my family is, those that are with me committed to the Father's will. Read John, uh, Matthew chapter 12. You'll see it there at the end of the chapter. It's exactly what he said. He said, I'll tell you who my family is, those that are with me committed to the are committed to the will of my Father. Now, those disciples had a long ways to go, but Jesus knew them too, and he knew whether they intended to follow him or whether they were playing the game. He knew, and so he said, these men, as far as they have to go, and as much work is yet to be done in their life, like the rest of us have, these men are committed to be with me to do the Father's will. This is my family right here. They are closer to me in relationship To my father's will, they are closer to me than my mother, who was at that time confused. Now, don't go tell your Catholic friends that. They might shoot you or something. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying. But She was in a state of confusion herself. And the brothers, hey, I can show you in John chapter 7 where it says, neither did his brothers believe in him. They eventually came around, but they weren't there yet. Not at that point in his ministry. And Jesus said, here's my family right here. My mother and my brother and my sister that would offend some people as a matter of fact if my brothers I have two brothers eight and ten years older than me and if I wasn't very careful to make this very clear and they heard me say that there are 50 men at Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City that I'm closer to than my brothers at least and there are many pastor friends that I'm closer to than my brothers so you don't think much of your brothers I love my brothers I'll tell you the kind of men they are. Even their sister-in-law loves them. She thinks my brothers are good guys. Isn't that right, Sam? She loves my brother Ben, eight years older than me. Lyle, he's a Church of Christ elder, so we have some theological issues, but my brother Lyle is a gentleman. He's a nice guy. He's one of the nicest people you could possibly meet. I love my brother Lyle, but we don't share the same relationship in relation to the purpose we are here and the purpose of the Word of God and the purpose that we are saved. We don't share the same relationship as I do with many others like your pastor that offends some people there are some family members that you might have if they see you if they see that the family of God and the will of God is more important to you than their approval they might be offended by that So I'm just saying, that's not the only offense. He said in Matthew chapter 16, that was in Matthew chapter 12. You go to Matthew chapter, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, think not that I am come to send peace into the world. No. What about Christmas? I know, it just ruins Christmas season. But that's what he said. I said, those weren't the last hard sayings of Jesus. Think not that I'm come peace, uh, to bring peace in the world, but I come with a sword. And I will set a man at odds with his own family. And so that there will be a father against the son, the son against the father. There will be a daughter against daughter-in-law which can happen anyway, but I'm just saying, it can really happen in relation to devotion to Jesus Christ. And, and he said, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Now, did Jesus come so that he might divide families? No. But the exclusive nature of the gospel naturally divides families. You cannot be devoted to Jesus Christ and the world. I mean, I remember my own mother, maybe the best Christian I ever knew. I can remember my own mother struggling with this as we had gotten into the ministry when we were uh, 21 years old, just about to turn 22. And, you know, there'd be family reunions and family gatherings. And guess when they did them? Guess when all those Mennonite people over in western Oklahoma, guess when they did them? Sunday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. I said, Mom, I can't come. She's got a bus ride, I got a bus ride. I teach a class, I'm in the choir, or I was leading the singing, and doing all of this, and the pastor's gone, I'm preaching, and I'm doing all this kind of stuff. I can't do it. Well, son, it's a family. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell them to have it on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can't do it on Saturday. Well, I can't do it on Sunday. Just doing what my mama basically taught me. Now she came around, she understood it. It's just hard for her to accept at times. That kind of devotion, Jesus said, I'll divide. I said, that's a hard saying. Yeah. That true devotion to Jesus Christ means that there's some family going to think, you, are, what do you, go to that church you've been, how, how many nights this week? Yeah. What are you, in a cult or something? Yeah. Letting those people manipulate you? All that kind of stuff. What in the world's going on? And there are some people that you might lose their approval and you might lose their friendship or their fellowship. You might lose it because of devotion to Jesus Christ. He warned us of that. He warned us of that. As a matter of fact, he goes on in Matthew chapter somewhere. You can go look it up later. Where he said, if a man love father and mother and brother and sister more than me, he is not worthy of me if a man hate not his father, mother, brother, sister, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's what he said. See, we're talking about disciples indeed. We're not talking about disciples that, well, get offended and therefore follow no more. We're talking about those who what? Continue in what he said. And to do that, to continue with Jesus there may be some people that measure that they are no longer loved. You think more of that church than you do your own family. Well, it's not actually the church, although it is the church. If it's an authentic New Testament church, it is his body after all. And uh, he loved the church and gave himself for it. I reckon that ought to give us justification. Uh, and motivation to have a right attitude towards New Testament church life. I'm not talking about religious organizations that put church over the door. I'm talking about those that will measure as a biblical, authentic New Testament church, which has to do with doctrine and function. Amen. Amen. See. Hate them? You think? Do you think for me to follow Jesus, do you think He expected me to go say to my dad, whom I love, Dad, I hate you? That's not what he's talking about at all. But there could be those when they see the kind of devotion and love that Jesus deserves. There's another D. Demands. They may interpret it as being hated. You don't mean that. You don't even want that. But if your devotion to Jesus produces that, that's not on you. That's on the person that doesn't devote himself to Jesus. Right. <sighs> Amen. And he said, if any man, here's a hard thing, if any man will come after me, you want to follow Jesus? Oh, yes. Knock doors all the time. You a Christian? You a believer? Yeah. Do you try to follow the Lord? Oh, yeah. Well, here's what he said. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Now, he gave two requirements, only two. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, I, you, if, you, if I if I was to try, listen to this. Somebody's going to say, if I was to try to be that kind of Christian that you're talking about, then it would keep me from doing a lot of things that I do actually want to do. Uh, he oh. knew that. What am I supposed to do? Well, I reckon believe his words. He said, if, it, if any man will come after me, any man. If any, you, see, we are, we are not at liberty to make up our own terms of discipleship. Okay, here's what my discipleship is going to look like. And I believe God is totally happy with this. Well, if his word says different, he's not. Yeah. And here's what his word says. If any man will come after me, he must deny himself. You cannot serve yourself and follow Jesus. You cannot be a self-serving person and follow Jesus Christ. Trust. It's a contradiction. It's not going to happen. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. You know what it means to deny oneself? To disassociate oneself from oneself. Do we know what it meant for Peter to deny the Lord? Of course we do. You're one of his. I am not. Second time. You are one of his. I am not. Man, I am not. <laughs> And the third time, we recognize you. Your speech gives you away. You're one of his. He cursed and said, I know him not. And we call that what? Denial. Okay, when your self-will, listen to this, interferes with God's perfect will and following Jesus Christ, and you follow your self-will, I didn't say you wasn't saved. I just said you are not a disciple. Come on, amen. Amen. It's too late, preacher. I have to go ahead. Amen. That's exactly right. I came a little late. You just the timing was just a little off. It, 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 it's the truth. There there is no fellowship without denial, self denial. Jesus said it, and it, it it's just it's so simple. But but I I want to follow Jesus, but I want to do this. You've got to decide. Self-denial. I wonder why self-help books became so popular in the United States. I wonder why the focus upon the self is so important. See, back when I was uh, starting out in the ministry, humanism was the big thing. Man is the center of everything. We've moved way past that till right now is the self is the center of everything. Truth is my truth. What I believe is true is true. I had two people set on very highly educated people making a lot of money had no kids because kids get in the way of their goal and their plans and so they said they were going to retire by the time they were 50 years of age both of them had degrees and uh, and behind their name and both of them had large incomes I'm sitting on the airplane and talking to them and I had my Bible open and so I made two or three attempts to get them in the Word and he said no I'm good no I'm good no I'm good and I, you know, I finally said actually none of us are good so you know kind of getting that and then he said now look, sir. He said, I I understand. But I'm just going to tell you right now, God is who and what we think he is, or we don't want anything to do with him. That's what he said. And you know that that is a, he expressed the mentality of many people of our culture and society. They make up in their own mind what God is like, who God is. And if God is not who and what I think he is, then we don't want anything to do with him. And my answer was simply this. Well, he's not. And you do. He's not who you say he is. He's who he is. And you do have to do with him, even if you say you don't have to do with him. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and give an account of himself to God. Every tongue. Deny self. And take up his cross. Take up the cross. Yeah, there's... Yeah, well, they have arthritis real bad. I'm not making fun of that. You want to hear my where my pains are? No? Well, I don't want to tell you either, but I'm just saying. Oh, I, they, I guess that's just their cross to bear. I guess it's not. It has nothing to do with whether you follow Jesus or not. And somebody, maybe their business failed. That's the third time their business failed. I guess that's just their cross to bear. No, the disappointments of life are not our cross. The cross that we bear is the shame that we suffer, the reproach that we endure, the opposition that comes, uh, listen to me, It comes against us because we identify with the lowly Savior who suffered on the cross. See? And the cross is an instrument of pain, It's an instrument of death, and it's an instrument of shame. Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. And when we identify with Jesus, don't expect the world to be out here applauding. Don't expect people that hate God and hate the Bible and hate the purpose of an authentic New Testament church, don't expect them to commend you because you're faithful to God. As a matter of fact, they might think you're somewhat demented and uh, overboard in your devotion to Jesus Christ. Well, then bear it. Yeah. Bear it. It has to do with the price we pay because we're devoted to Jesus Christ. You know what that is to a lot of people? A hard saying. That's a real hard saying. Yeah. Meaning, I want to, oh, no, I want to follow Jesus. It's just that I, I can't. Well, <clears throat> okay, I want his control of my life except for this or except for that. I want to follow Him, except I I, I still want to be able to do what I want to do. It may have to do with liquor. It may have to do with how you use the Lord's Day. I can make it every other Sunday. Because, see, Sunday's always been my day. It's never been your day. It's always the Lord's Day. (laughs) Whether you act like it or not, it's the Lord's Day. Amen. Amen. The hard saints of Jesus. Good. And there are people that will come to church. Man, I never heard a choir like that. Man, I never heard three people get up with a guy like that in the middle and make a sound like that. Man, that was good. Man, that song, right? yeah. Boy, you got some talent in that church, you know. I've heard all of these kind of things. Yeah. Boy, the people are friendly there. Man, there's a lot of enthusiasm there. Man, I like a preacher that gets up and preaches. I can't send somebody that will put you to sleep. And I I, I agree with that guy that was a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary. I can't remember his name. Never can. It's not even important you do. But I will have one thing that man said. He said to preachers one time, he held up his Bible and he said, it must be a great crime to make such a book boring. Yeah. I was telling the pastor about a, a double specialist doctor that came to Bible Baptist Church many, many times, Dr. Garnier. He was retired, he was an eye specialist, ear, nose, and throat specialist, specialist in both fields, regarded throughout the whole state of Oklahoma, spoke here and there, taught in schools and all this kind of stuff. And Dr. Garnier was invited by two physicians that were members of our church, and he came to our church, and he came, and he came, and he came, and I talked to him at the door. He didn't want me coming by his house, and he talked, I talked to him at the door. He was not a believer. He was not saved. He said, I'm a Presbyterian, but I'm an intellectual Presbyterian. That's what he told me. And so one day we had a service where it was just one of those times and people got saved. And I I met him at the door and I said, Dr. Gordon here, I'm so glad you're here. But you know, seeing people get saved and the way it kind of service was, I was really thinking and praying maybe you'd get saved today. He said, Brother Sam, with all due respect, I need to tell you something. I don't agree with hardly anything you say. But I love the way you say it. And I appreciate it that you believe it. And if I'm going to go to church, I'm going to go where somebody really believes what they're saying. And you do. But I disagree with almost everything you say. And two weeks later, he was dead. He died. I'm, I'm not saying I had any... I'm just saying. I'm just telling you what happened. That's exactly what happened. And there are still people to this day who come? They come to Calvary Baptist Church, yeah. visit. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed that. I, I know somebody there. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good guy. He works uh, down the road or has the same company I work. With. He's a good man. Yeah, good. yeah, I like. Yeah, we liked. It. We enjoyed. It. We got something out of it. Yeah, we'll be back. And then they come and the preacher's teaching and the preacher's preaching and you can't preach long without bringing out the demands of God. Look at me just a second. Those 10 commandments are not 10 suggestions. And what Jesus laid out as the terms of discipleship are not take it or leave it. It's a cafeteria. Pick what you want and leave the rest. That's not how he presented it. It's all or nothing. That's right. In terms of being a genuine, authentic disciple. Continue in my sayings. There are people that hear that and say, oh, that's not what I'm looking for. And they go out the door. And because of that, Many pulpits have adjusted their sermon to make sure minimum damage done instead of truth proclaimed because only the truth will produce authentic discipleship. Now, there are disciples, pupils, and there are disciples indeed. What I have to do When I study this, when I read this, I have to evaluate Sam Davison's life. I cannot evaluate anybody else. I'm not in a role or a position to evaluate anybody else's life. And when you hear it and are challenged by the word of God, it's your responsibility to look at this and say, am I a disciple indeed? And if you're saying, well, pretty much, then the answer is no. Amen. Now, if you're putting terms on God about what you will and will not do, that's not what a disciple indeed does, but one that continues in his saying, <laughs> not who gets him to agree with your saying. Or am I just a pupil? Now, which do you want to be? Well, if it doesn't cost me anything, there's no such thing. Jesus made it very clear there in Matthew 16. He said, if any man will save his life from his authority, if any man will save his life, keep himself from the authority of Jesus, he'll lose it. He'll lose the life he could have had. He'll lose the joy he could have known. He'll lose the blessings. I look back, my wife and I have talked about this many times at this stage of our life. We've been married 55 years coming right up. And we look back and we've often thought, what if I'd have refused to answer the call? I tried to pull my own little Jonah Jonah stunt, you know, and run from God. Oh, that was silly. What if I'd have run from, what if I'd have taken up the opportunity to farm instead of preach? I'm quite sure I could be five or six million dollars in debt by now, you know? (laughs) But I'd have got to farm, right? No. I'll tell you what what I missed. I, I wouldn't die and go to hell if I'm his child. He doesn't lose any. That are his, that are given to him. But I would have lost the kind of life we've known, the kind of blessings. <laughs> yeah. I can't hardly really talk about it. I w- would have missed it. Would have missed it. Well, I don't know. It would make that much difference. I don't know what he means by losing it. Losing what? You have to ask. You lose, you, you save your life, you lose it. You, you have to have a clear definition of what it means. To lose. Doesn't the word lose kind of tell you something? I mean, are you satisfied with lose? Somebody better respond I'm going to have to preach on that about 30 minutes here. I mean, do we really need to understand more about what it means to lose? Anybody said, I'm a loser and I'm proud of it. Anybody here? No, nobody. But he said, Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Find what meaning in life is. Father, your word makes it clear. Their disciples, in the sense of pupils, sat down and listened here with no intent to act upon what Jesus taught. And they went their way. And they went their way. Those that did not believe unto salvation, unless they are repentant and saved before they leave this life, will go to hell. Those that have received the truth of salvation, but then put limits on the fellowship, will lose the kind of life and meaning and purpose and freedom and joy that you had for them in this life. So there are pupils and there are disciples indeed. That's what your son Jesus said. These are my disciples indeed. And John 15, 8 says that your disciples bear fruit. Their life is fruitful, produces fruit for you, for your glory, for your honor. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Oh, there is so much about being a true disciple indeed no serious person would say i'm okay just missing hell and i don't really care if i'm a good christian or not a person with that spirit has no doubt no life of god in him or her and if indeed we are saved how could we how do we justify in our mind how do we live with ourselves if we are easily offended by what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, puts upon us. And how do we justify turning to walk no more with Him? I'll use Him as long as it fits what I want. That if he puts demands on me that I don't initiate, I don't want anything to do with it. And they walked no more with him. What a sad, sad sight. May your Holy Spirit work. If somebody's here that's not saved, may they be saved tonight. If there are saved people that need to get serious about following you and not being offended by your word, in your words, but continue in them. God, if there are people that need to get some things right, they need a revival in their spiritual life, in their Christian life, God, they just need to get serious about following you. If that's the case, then may there be the humility of heart to act upon that right now, tonight. Just say, Lord, I haven't been the disciple I should be. I don't want to turn and follow you no more. I don't want to be in that crowd. I want to follow you indeed Young people, young lives, what a time to commit themselves to your way. Oh God, bless this invitation for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?